Today I want to I want to talk about something that's been on my heart um, ever since I read a magazine uh, called Decision. I want to talk about a subject of your and my thinking. We live in a culture that is seemingly no longer wanting to give us the freedom to think on our own, but wants to train us to think certain ways. We are bombarded by all kinds of entities, including the media, to to embrace thoughts that um, are from minority think tanks and are so different than the truth of true life. And we're asked that if we don't think that way, that we are canceled in this world. It is apparent even in our school systems, the things that they are teaching that once 12th grade and even colleges used to teach Christian values are no longer teaching that. They're no longer teaching you how to think, but what to think. I think there's a biblical reason for this. We find it in 2 Corinthians 4.13. It says, As it is written, I believe, therefore, I have spoken. Paul took this cultural philosophy from his day and affirmed it as a spiritual law and then applied it to Christian faith as he went on and says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. God's work of sanctification to set believers apart from sin and move them toward holiness is not only the work keeps us from daily committing sin against him, but is Ryan saying... The process of holiness is the transforming of us from the inside out. Why is this important? Why is it important for you to pay attention to God's word today? Why is it important for our hearts to be open to what has been said? And I just, I love Ryan's singing because he, you know, just, he talked about the heart to us, right? You know, to, to you know, to, to take our hearts and to change our hearts Why, are they, why is this important? Because God knows two important truths. First, who you are, really are is who you are in your heart. That's who you are. Jesus told us that a man is not defiled by that which comes from the outside and comes in and then is expelled out of us again. We are defined by who we are in our heart. The condition of our heart is that which we think within our soul. Secondly, God knows that a a transformed heart, a heart that has been moved from self-focus to God-focus, is a heart that will begin to commit crimes against the culture. The growing culture. The think tank of the evil culture in our world. One of my greatest concerns about being your pastor is that you are equipped and engaged 
to fight against the cultural war that you are in. The culture wants to form the way that you think. And it is doing so many things from K through college on to conform those, that, that thought process. And I want you to have a biblical worldview so that you can see the lies and your life can be transformed to the truth and you can walk in truth. That is my heart. You say, now, Wayne, you know, I get what you're saying, but don't, you know, don't go overboard on this. Is it as a big of a deal as you say it is? I was reading the Decision magazine for the month of January. And in this magazine, a story was told about a woman by the name of Isabel Spruce. She lives in the UK. And she has been um, protesting in front of abortion clinics for over 20 years. Well, the UK got sick of this. And so they made a law that said that these protesters could not come within a certain um, uh, distance from an abortion clinic. They called them buffer zones. And so she, she and others were not allowed to be within these areas. Um, well, she respected her government and yet said, there's still something I can do in the buffer zone. So you know what she did? She went in there and she prayed silently. No movement, no going toward clients. In fact, on a particular day, the clinic was closed and there was no clients there. But because she'd been doing this for 20 years, people in the area knew who she was. They called the police on her. She was arrested for what they called thought crimes. Now listen, they said that it... She, she said, I'm not sure if, if I was publicly protesting my for or against abortion that that necessarily had been the problem. The problem was that while I was praying, I was having thoughts to God. And that's what they arrested her for. Twice. She went in, they took her, they, they, they put her in a cell. And uh, the first time her trial went before the courts, and it was quickly expelled out. The second time, it never went to the courts, but it took them six months to tell them that her case was finally not, not up in front of uh, being judged. You think this isn't coming to, into America? Have you been watching the news? This is coming. The enemy, we're going to arrest you. One example is the fact that we have just watched in our country colleges who have been teaching 
their children, their, their, their college students about systematic racism and, or systemic racism, and they have been saying that we're against any kind of prejudice and racism, and yet the protest against Israel on these college campuses have been so intense, leadership has been quiet at minimum, and they have been promoting it at maximum. Isn't it interesting that they could be that um, dual thinking? Well, of course they are. They're not against racism at all. Even the promotion of systemic racism is a prejudice against a certain race. And so we live in this world, but just like what Paul said about the religious rulers in Jesus' time, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So these colleges in our nation and the world has no idea that this growing hatred for Jews is working toward what Paul, God's, Paul calls God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. He predicted it. He predicted it would happen in the last days. You and I see, are seeing the prediction of God's word working out in our world. And so, how do I know that I'm growing in committing thought crimes? Now, I want to clarify what a thought crime is. I'm talking about it from a biblical viewpoint. They are thoughts, like Isabel, which are directed toward God against worldly culture. They are thoughts directed by the wisdom of God in direct conflict with the evil ideology that's growing in our world today. Now, I wanna, I'm going to use as a framework a verse from Scripture. I don't want you to go there. I want you to take your Bibles out. We're going to go some other places. But this is the verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24 says this. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and will do it. So that's my outline, okay? So it's this, point one. Thought crimes begin with knowing God, who God is. May God himself... The God of peace. Do you know who God really is? <clears throat> we all have been born with a sinful search of self-realization. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we continue to search out our own Godheadness. I'm in control. I'm able to save myself. I don't need anyone else. But the work of God's sanctification in our lives works to change the search from our own identity and begins to arrest in peace in the identity of Jesus Christ. This begins by knowing who God is. So if somebody came up to you and says, who's God, what would you say? How would you define him? Where would you go in Scripture? Well, I want to go to two places because... It would take all afternoon if we were going to go through Scripture, maybe actually days. But 
But I want to take you to two places. First of all, if you would turn with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. We're just going to take a portion of this, but it's a fairly decent-sized portion, but it is telling us who God is. Isaiah 40, we're going to start with the 21st verse. Are you with me? All right. Do you not know? Have you not heard? What's he talking about? Our hearts. He's talking to our hearts. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He searches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them forth and calls each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or worry, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We serve a God that is a throne. I am telling you, this, these foundational scriptures, if you take them to heart, become the foundation for you to live a radical life for Jesus Christ. He is enthroned over all things. There is no one over him. He reduces rulers who arrogantly shake their fist at him like a breath. He brings out the starry host and he knows each of the stars by name. This is the God we serve. He's an everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He will never tire or grow weary of you. His love for you is everlasting. Understanding, his understanding no one can fathom. I think about this. How many of you want to go to heaven when you die? Now, I want you to think about this. For all of eternity, you will never know the completeness of God. Every day in heaven, even on this earth, 
you will, you will grow in knowing him more and more, but you will never get to the end of him because there is no end to him. He's everlasting. Now, can your mind even fathom that? Mine cannot. I even thought that thought in my studying. It says, how do you even, there's no illustration I can bring forward to that. It is just the most amazing thing. This is the God we serve. He's everlasting. But it doesn't stop there. Because his godness was also in his son on earth. Go with me to Colossians 1, starting with the 15th verse. Who is he? Is also who is revealed in, in, of him in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, starting with the 15th verse. You with me? Sweet. Listen about this God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, that which we cannot see and cannot fully know was revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The firstborn over all creation, meaning he went to the grave and he rose again from the dead. And he is alive today. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, as I said, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Jesus Christ... We see the character of God. Jesus does it. That is who the Father is. He told his disciples that I and the Father are one. Remember what he said? Um, who was it? It was Philip, I think, says, you know, show us the Father. And he said, it's just, haven't you seen the Father? Don't you believe that I and the Father are one? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I get that we struggle with getting this, okay? We're finite people, and we're trying to grasp the infinite. It's insurmountable, and yet he has made himself known to us, and what an important thing that is. So when it comes to sanctification... When it comes to the fact of our hearts being changed and transformed, not just to not sin, but also that our hearts think a different thought, our lives are changed, we have to realize that not only is God the creator, 
of the sanctification of a human heart, but he's also the source. He's also our source to be able. As he holds on to us, we can hold on to him because he's the source of that strength. Philippians 2 tells us that we work out our our faith in trembling and fear for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good purpose. As we tremble and work out, he's working in us. He's changing our hearts and moving our lives. And that, of course, is where the peace of God comes from. I know that there may be some of us that have walked in today and there's not a lot of peace in our heart right now. But he is saying in this, in this verse, my outline verse, that it's the peace of God. He is our peace. Romans 5.1 says that because we are justified through faith, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is what he did on the cross for us. It is the, his resurrection. It is that that brings peace to a human heart. And when you have peace in your heart, it changes all your thinking. If, you want, if you're honest with yourself, it's been, it has been the restlessness of, of circumstances in your life and even decisions you have made that has caused you to wrestle within your soul about who you are. Well, it's time to get at peace with that. How do I do that? Receive Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Receive him in your heart. He promises you he is the God of peace and he will bring peace everywhere he is. Corinthians tells us this, that where the spirit of God is, there's freedom. There is. There is. No matter what we're going through. So if we know God, we can truly live in confidence that we truly see him through Jesus and that he's sovereign over all things, even, listen, even when the nations rage against him. The psalmist says this about those who rage against him. He says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. That's not a mocking that is, what are you doing? You know, it's like you're walking on a sidewalk and there's an ant screaming at you to get off the sidewalk. What? What? Now, I didn't mean an ant or an uncle, just, you know, a very small critter. So, knowing God changes the thoughts of our life from living as a victim to living as a victor. Not because we are successful at slaying the dragon, but because in Christ, he has already destroyed the head of the dragon. And we, he no longer rules over us, and neither does his evil world. You understand that Jesus knew his father, and because he knew his father, he was not controlled by the evil religious society of his time. And guess what? That was the reason why they crucified him. Because they couldn't control him. And they hated him for it. Because that's what false religion does. It's about control. That's not what we're about. We're not about that at all. 
So it was the first. Do you know God? Second, thought crimes are empowered by the depth of God's work. In this verse of Thessalonians, it says that, it says that um, sanctify you through and through. The phrase through and through can be also interpreted as entirely. It is made up of two words in the original language. One is whole and complete, and the other is end or finish. The whole and complete goes back to the biblical idea of perfection. In Christ, you and I are made perfect, meaning complete and whole. That Christ brings wholeness to our lives. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced being made whole and complete? It starts, as Ryan told us, from the inside out. As our hearts change, so our thoughts and our actions change. The law, corrupt practices are the fruit of corrupt principles. Principles of dealing falsely with each other comes from false thoughts of God. You cannot know the true God and deceive your family, friends, or workmates. In counseling... Sue and I will often say that your marriage reflects your belief in God because your marriage is the second relationship in regards to God. If your marriage is corrupt, your belief in God is corrupt. Now, interesting I wrote this, but it's so true. I say this to you with deep conviction of my own heart. Because I have, in many instances, not been a great husband to my wife. And so I, as I was studying this, I'm going, ha, ha. Does that make sense to you? (laughs) My wife echoed the huh. (laughs) Does that make sense to you, though? Right? Love God, love each other. If you're not loving each other well... How can you love God? In fact, 1, 1 John 4, 19 tells us that. You say that you love God, and yet you hate your brother. You're a liar. <clears throat> How can you love the one you cannot see when you're not able to love the one you can? And this is the principle that I put with that, which convicts me every time I say it. I only love God as much as the one I love the least. Oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you see that then becomes, this is all free of charge. This becomes foundational, listen to me, to loving your enemy. Because if I hate my enemy, I hate God. Wait. Yes. It's true. It's true. That's why Christians are so Radical in this world, if they get this. Because knowing God, knowing the depth of the completeness of his work in my heart becomes foundational for me to live out a life that is not controlled by this world. You get this, Jerry. I mean, you know, you've been telling us men in the group that 
that along the way you have just, you've grabbed a hold of biblical principles and you've felt like you've become freer and freer and freer. Amen? Yeah, but you've become more than that. You've become radical because you're no longer controlled by culture. And guess what? Culture hates you. And it becomes, uh, uh, too many of us are trying to fit into the culture. You were never meant to fit in. Stop it. You were meant to stand out. You were meant to shine your light. And guess what? Evil men don't like light. Evil women don't like light. They want to put out your light. They want to put out your light. Are you shining as a light or are you, are you just fitting into the culture? So in, in God's sanctification, the process, he's working out to make you perfect, which means complete and finished. Now listen, if you're a student of the word, you'll make a connection to the phrase, to the cross, which means uh, when, when I talk about, um, when talked about end or finish, what's the word that Jesus said from the cross? To telestai, which means it's finished. It's finished. It's finished. The Bible says this in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind, to set the opposed, oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> the death of God's work is your entirety entirety you are healed are you living that way right now are you living as though your life is healed from all the emotion scars of your past from all the from all the things in your life are you living now i now listen to me there's a difference between living it and experientially feeling it. There is a difference. I get that, that some of us still experience the effects of, of, of circumstances in your life. But what God wants is that you're not ruled by those. When you let those experiences rule your life, that's what guides your thinking. But if you will choose to believe and to receive by faith what he has done, that he has healed you completely, experientially, you'll still experience those experiences. But in your heart, in, in your thinking, you're changing and you're growing. And they're no longer controlling you. And you're free. Does that make sense to you? Because that is amazing life. He promises us that if you receive him, he'll restore that which the locusts have eaten. He'll restore everything above and beyond. 
But you've got to receive it and, and, and begin to walk into it, believing it has already been done. So the thought crimes begin with knowing who God is. And second is thoroughly the depth and work of God. Finally, it's the knowledge of his complete forgiveness that changes the response of the spirit, the soul, and the body. Third point, thought crimes are empowered by the knowledge of his complete forgiveness. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says. Another phrase for kept blameless is this, preserved completeness. What it means, and you engineers and builders will appreciate this, it means the idea of of repaired with integrity, total, intact, and undamaged. See, the question of an engineer is this. If there is a beam that has an integrity issue and they replace the beam, the question is from an engineer, will that beam hold until the life of the building is complete? Last week, I had the privilege and honor of experiencing somebody coming to faith in Christ. In the midst of the joy, there was a question that comes up. Will this salvation stick? You heard it? Yes. We as humans, listen, we as humans so experience brokenness that it's beyond our logical understanding that that there could be anything else in our life but that. But see, logic, truth is not always logical. Because the, log- uh, the truth of the fact is that Jesus Christ's salvation is complete. And it will stick. Because how can a spirit come and live in Kyle Hamlet and then leave when it's called an eternal spirit? You can't. Once it came into Kyle Hamlet, it's there for all eternity. Now, it's Kyle Hamlet's job to begin to think about life in relationship with the Spirit of God living inside of him. Getting to know God, getting to know the completeness of him in in him, that is the work that we get. And yes... Jesus said it when the rich man walked away from from his call to to, um, salvation. And the disciples said, is it impossible for man to be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The author of Hebrews tells us in the fourth chapter, the 12th verse, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What he is telling us is this, that in Kyle Hamlet, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is able to penetrate deeper to the recesses of his attitudes and intents, even when he's mostly controlled sometimes by attitudes and intents. But the Spirit of God can go down in those recesses that we cannot go down. God's Spirit brings the power of forgiveness to these regions so we can experience a life that is blameless 
or complete forgiven. Our confidence in 1 John 1, 7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from some sins. Oh, no? All. Amen. You guys are listening. All right. Thanks for being with me. All sins. No, think about that. Think about the fact that for some of us, even this past week, we were controlled by by what we thought was controlling us, and that is either the action of sin ourselves or what somebody else has. He's saying, no, you don't have to be controlled by that anymore. My son's blood covers and cleanses all sin, all sin. So the blood of Jesus Christ, for every true believer, has, they have been preserved completely. The integrity of the cleansing of their soul is intact, total, undamaged until Christ returns. That, that is why Paul could say these words. For I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced he is able to keep that which I have given to him against that day. Amen? Amen? Now, so I, I've, talked about, I've talked about knowing God. I've talked about the completeness of his work. I've talked about the depth of his forgiveness. But there's a problem. <laughs> and I'm going to call it the Egyptian problem. So we have this story of these people that multiplied to millions in Egypt. And God heard their cry, and he called Moses, the guy who thought he could do it on his own, so he killed an Egyptian and then figured out he couldn't, lived 40 years in the desert, to be a shepherd so he could get the fact of how much he needs the Lord and depended on him. Calls him to go back to set my people free. Ten plagues later, they're not only walking out of Egypt, but they're walking out with all of Egypt's spoils. But here's the problem. Where did they walk into? The wilderness. What? Time out. Time out here. You go from slavery to a wilderness? What in the world? Now, the problem is that we all form some kind of thinking of what salvation looks like. And unfortunately, prosperity Christianity has told us that if you are saved, you're going to walk into Hawaii. And everything is going to be wonderful. And when it doesn't happen, what happens to us? It is Actually, last night, at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and said, that message isn't complete yet. And this morning, my wife goes, hey, it's getting a little late, shouldn't we go? And I'm going, yes, I just got... So, listen to me. What we don't get is that we walk from slavery into the wilderness. Why? Why? Now, I want you to hear a few excerpts of how the Israelites handled that, and maybe you'll relate. 
Exodus 14 says this. As Pharaoh approached, they're at the Red Sea, the Israelites looked up, and there the Egyptians marched after them. They were terrified and cried to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out into Egypt? Out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You ever get to the fact that, that this thing called salvation doesn't seem to be measuring up to what your expectations were? That somehow you almost seem stuck and it would almost be better if I just went back to what I was in, in slavery, than to sit out here in this desert and die? No, come on, be honest with me. Yeah, I've had it. Really, God, this is what you've got for me? This is what it's about? Now, listen to another one. Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. <laughs> There we sat around pots of meat, <coughs> ate all, all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. If we're honest with ourselves, have you ever thought, man, sometimes it almost feels like it would be better to go back to where I was than this right now? Because this, come on, this is hard. I mean... Following Jesus Christ is free because he gave us this life. He's the one who died for it. He's the one who paved the way for us to be believers. But to be a disciple means that you need to walk a whole new path. And some of you are choosing to wander between two paths instead of following him. And it almost feels like at time, you know what? It would be a lot easier to go back. You know, at least there, I had my flesh satisfied. Right now, I feel like I'm starving. Oh, come on. Come on. You know, the greatest blessing of following the Lord is that we get to follow the Lord. That's the greatest blessing. There's no greater blessing than that. That we're on a whole new path. And, he's, and, and we get to follow the truth, the way, the life. But it doesn't mean that it won't be hard. It doesn't mean that it's not going to feel like a wilderness. And then here's the final one, Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. <laughs> Sorry. Um, just sometimes I laugh in Scripture. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded, they camped at um, Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. <laughs> Who's Moses? Can he bring water? I, anyways, Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, again, Why did you bring us out of this Egypt? out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst. If, you, if you're hearing these words and you allow yourself to relate to what's being said, 
And that there are times that you also have grumbled against God. There are times, because, <clears throat> because this is a wilderness. Why a wilderness? Why? What is the Lord's purpose in putting us in a wilderness? I think that's a great question to ask. He answers it in 1 John 2.15. He says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. The whole point of the wilderness the whole point of why you're going through some of the things you're going through is to cause you to depend more on him and to let the world go. And there's no greater message for an American Christian today than that because I can guarantee a large amount of us, myself included, have held on to the world and our faith in God. And we've tried to synchronize them as one and it does not work. It does not. Syncretism does not work. You're either sold heartily out for the Lord or you're not. And so he puts you in the wilderness, in the wilderness, so that you become more dependent on him. And what does it do? It makes you depend on knowing him more. It makes you depend on the fact that he has changed you through and through entirely. <clears throat> and it makes you trust in the forgiving work of the Father who makes your life blameless and changes everything. And then it changes your thoughts. It changes who you are. You're be you begin to be able to praise God in the wilderness times, because you realize he's stripping the world away from you and causing you to be more trusting and dependent on him. And that's where the last part of this verse comes in. It says, the one who called you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. But it means that you have to trust in him. That means you need to jump on his path no matter what comes. And you need to follow him no matter where it leads you. I was telling the, the crew of story that I heard um, in the past week about a woman who was so passionate about her parents coming to the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. And she told her husband on a particular week, she said, if God would want me to die so that my parents could come to faith, she says, I just want you to know I would do it. The next week, she was running. She got hit by a car and was killed. At her funeral, her mother came to save him faith in Jesus Christ. Now that is a hate crime. Because the culture says what's most important is that you hold on to your life because this is all it is. 
This is all it is. It's all you have. And she thought a thought crime against her life, saying, if that's what the Lord would want, I'd be willing to do that. Doesn't make sense culturally, but total sense in the spiritual realm. People of God, what you think is what you believe, and what you believe is who you are. You can sit in these seats, you can hear these words, you can walk out that back door, and nothing changes, because that's not who you are. But today, in this place, you can receive the one who is your God, who says he can make you complete through and through, and who can bring forgiveness to the recesses of places you can't even think about. And he can bring salvation today in your life. I hope and pray that you will. And I hope and pray that if you are saved, that today you begin to think, ask yourself, do I know what God is? Am I really living as though I am complete through and through? Am I truly living in the power of the forgiveness that he's brought into my life? That body, soul, and spirit is set free because he has done that for me? I hope and pray you do. Stand with me as I pray. Father, as we have gathered here to hear from you, I thank you, Lord, that you're here. I thank you, Lord, that, um, that you are the God that has come to sanctify your people. And to pray that, Father, that we as a people will understand this by getting to know you, spending our life getting to know you. Your word has been written. It's a love letter set before us. And, Lord, if some of us were to reveal the little time that we spent in your word, even this last week, uh, we'd be embarrassed. So, Father, cause us to, a desire to know you more. Cause us a desire to realize that in you we are, we are changed through and through. That no longer are we going to be controlled by those things of the past or even those sins in our own lives that that we have been under for years. No longer going to be controlled by that, but we're going to be controlled by the fact that you have changed us and that the beam in our life has been changed and the integrity is intact and the salvation is complete. And Father, may your forgiveness lead us both in body, soul, and spirit. That Father, our bodies do not follow the ways they used to. That our soul keeps its eyes on you. And that in our spirit, your thoughts are our thoughts. We thank you for your precious word. Touch our hearts today. In the name of your son, Jesus.